Hello and welcome to The Grand Thunk, the podcast in which we, Alex Blanchard and Rhiannon Kearns, discuss what we've been reading, watching and listening to. A fairly simple premise. We have transcripts in our link tree on our Instagram bio at The Grand Thunk. You can message us there or email us, thegrandthunk at gmail.com. So please subscribe, rate, review and tell all your friends. And before we begin the episode, please be sure to check the content warnings in our show notes. I actually went to see, speaking of, I mean, we've not even started. Uh, yeah. <laughs> hi. <laughs> hi. <laughs> I just, uh, singing along to our imaginary theme tune that's not even playing right now, reminded yeah. me, I went to see a podcast that I always listen to do their live show last night. I oh. went to see Shagged, Married, Annoyed live at Wembley. Oh. Yeah. It was great fun. But what I really enjoyed was they have a great little jingle. They have a babu 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 ba. <laughs> she always does in between different sections way better than what yeah. I just did and it was great watching them do it live and it just made me think of our little jingle ba -da -ba -ba -ba. they sing it they had like a button on stage that they pressed ah. and every time they wanted to move on it was like a babble. yeah I'm not going to try and do it again but they sang other parts <laughs> of their jingle and stuff and it, they've just got they've got strong jingle game the grand <laughs> thunk, dun, da, da, da. have we ever spoken about that on here before I don't know. Maybe I should insert a clip. But way yeah. back when we were think, trying to think of a theme tune, I composed a very <laughs> mediocre. <laughs> you say it was interesting. <laughs> Which I thought very hard about. I thought I tried very hard and it just was nothing compared with Connor's beautiful <laughs> Yeah, but what melody. you did, which Connor didn't do, was um, sing in three-part harmonies and record yourself and add it all together. <laughs> Grand thunk, 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 thunk. The grand thunk, thunk, thunk. The grand thunk. So much oh, I kind time of <laughs> went into it. It's a thing of beauty. Yeah, sometimes it just pops into my head. It's quite an earworm. Maybe we should have gone with it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> my brother constantly sings it. <laughs> it's very funny. Oh, how are you doing? So how are how you? <laughs> I'm good, thank you. I am ticking along. I'm going to be very British good. and instantly refer to the weather. Of which today has been just raining cats and dogs. Honestly, mm. summer is over. Bring on the woolly no. knits. Yeah. Well, is that a good thing or a bad thing? It's nothing. Uh, it's a thing. I'm fully ready for the autumn fields now. I'm like mm. fed up of that weird halfway house where you, you're kind of ready mm -hmm. to put a jacket on, but then you're just a bit sweaty because it's kind of surprising September mm. sunshine and you're just always a little bit uncomfortable i'm like oh. let's just get the early nights and the darkness and the crunchy leaves going i'm ready Start wrap me up docking up on cinnamon and pumpkin spice yeah are you a fan <laughs> of the old pumpkin spice latte which dominates no. instagram at this time of year i've never had one no i'm not I've, no i've never had one to be fair we're not i don't proper imagine millennials. we're not proper if we've not done the old Maybe I'll take PSL. you on a, a Starbucks date and get you a pumpkin <laughs> spice latte. Maybe they're good. Mm. I like the idea of spices. Like I like a chai mm. latte, but I don't want pumpkin in my drink. What kind of spices are in a pumpkin spice? I always assume the pumpkin was just because like autumn will say pumpkin <laughs> and it's just like cinnamon and a bit of nutmeg or something. Yeah, just floating bits of butternut squash just to make you feel <laughs> authentic. I don't know. Yeah. 
and I'll mm. stick to stick to a nice chai latte. That'll yeah. do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> How are you oh. anyway? Yes, very well. Yeah, it's not been raining here. It's been delightful. It's not. It doesn't feel any different from the summer weather, honestly, because we didn't really. We kind of hit a few heat waves. We haven't really had summer, summer, have we? Hmm. Mm. <laughs> yeah. It's not much more to say, is it, when we just descend into no? weather chat thirty seconds no. in. <laughs> similar to a pumpkin spice latte i've got no Mm. idea what this is so maybe you can help me i've just seen it was the met gala yes right what is that because i just see everyone wearing outrageous red carpet fabulous outfits everyone's choosing their favorite ones but it's like all i know from an outsider's perspective is it's like upper level like it's super crazy outfits but what do they what is happening once they get inside so it's hosted by Anna Winter, and I think then probably from Vogue. And it's a party that I think is just a sort of meal. And I'm gathering from, have you ever seen Ocean's 8, the one that's mm, starring no. women rather than, okay, so you know the Ocean's 11, Ocean's 12, Ocean's I 13 films? I know of them, haven't seen them. Oh, oh, wow. Sorry. Okay, a bunch of people... In Ocean's 11, 11 people. In Ocean's 12, 12 people. You get the idea. Mm-hmm. Host various heists to go steal jewellery and whatnot. And these very elaborate schemes where they have, you know, a very flexible person who gets inside a suitcase and then the safe cracker who does this and then the person who masterminds mm. the whole thing. And they're very fun heist movies. Brad Pitt and George Clooney are the key figures. But they recently brought out one that was starring women, which was Sandra Bullock, Kate Blanchett, Rihanna... Helena Bonham Carter. Rihanna, that's so random. <laughs> I know. Rihanna, Sarah Paulson. I've forgotten what number of women I'm on. Mindy Kaling. Various Great women. women. They all take part in this heist, but because it's led by women, it becomes slightly more about how much can women get away with because women are ignored, particularly like not white women get ignored a lot. So they use that in their advantage to like do this heist, which happens to be at a big event like the Met Gala. And mm-hmm. it's an exhibition plus dinner, I think, is what that event was. And that is what I've decided the Met Gala is. <laughs> We've come full circle back to still not Yeah, really there knowing. was a point to my tangent. But what I've imagined it is, is that it's something to do with high culture plus a dinner, ah. invite only. But did you see... Got it. Who's, whose outfit was your favourite out of the ones that you might have seen? Okay, so two. Mm-hmm. One isn't really an outfit. I didn't actually like her outfit, but I'm just so excited that she was there. Because the reason I came across all of this was because mm-hmm. I've just been following Emma Raducanu like an obsessive little fangirl ah, ever since. Yeah. Or the US Open success. So she was there, so I was just excited for her, but wasn't a huge fan of, of the dress. Okay. The only one I saw that I really liked was Carrie Mulligan looking incredible oh. in like an enormous pink See, I don't know enough about fashion. All I can say is it's pink. It's like when yeah. people talk about cars and they're like, oh, I've got a red one. That's also, I'm that person as well. Like, I don't know about the makes and stuff. It's pink. It was huge. It was quite smooth material and it had a cape. Okay. And I thought, Ooh, fabulous. Very nice. Mm. Oh yeah, I'm looking at it now. Yeah, that looks amazing. Did you see Kim Kardashian's dress? Oh, was she the one that was like a, a ninja in like a morph suit? Yeah. Yeah. So she was, was wearing, <laughs> essentially she was dressed in all black 
and her face was completely covered and you couldn't see where her face covering ended and where her hair began and she, it was just all black. It so reminded me of Anish Kapoor's truest black, black hole painting. Do you know the one that's just, he's created this paint that is so unreflects light that it looks completely immersive and like it's a fully black hole and he's patented it so that no one can ever use that paint Mm -hmm. which has led to a whole slew of backlashes from the art world in various forms but it just really reminded me of that that she wore an outfit that was like a negative outfit it was it was so unoutfitty that it wasn't Mm. an outfit that it became a statement which i just thought was really cool actually it reminded me (laughs) less highbrow it reminded me of when we were kids and you'd put like a pair of tights over your head and body to pretend you were a robber you know (laughs) (laughs) vanta black that's what it's called it's called vanta black how did they know it was her i mean i suppose when she started talking and she announced herself as kim kardashian and the bum obviously how the photographers knew well just people like when you get out of the car Everyone would be like, ooh, who's that? Maybe that's part of the drama. Yeah. The other person whose outfit I absolutely adored, which I totally forgot to mention, was, of course, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. <gasps> oh, yes. Tax the Rich. So good. So I this loved... this beautiful white gown that's kind of like fishtail. So we get, there we go. Getting all the terms out now. Get me. Yeah. <laughs> the style was if it had been graffitied or painted on, but obviously it was done very well. It says tax the rich in red over her back. Yes. But it was so cool. And I think it was obviously a statement piece. Obviously, people then got their backs up and were like, it cost $30,000 to go to the Met Gala. And I bet the dress costs so much. And it's so hypocritical. But then I was reading into it. Interesting. And, and obviously, there's lots of then counter arguments. And she's posted about it saying that the medium is the message and how proud she was to work with Aurora James, who I guess is the designer. Mm-hmm. I'm just quoting here from her Instagram. She says, mm-hmm. proud to work with Aurora James as a sustainably focused black woman immigrant designer who went from starting her dream mm-hmm. brother Veli's at a flea market in Brooklyn to winning the mm-hmm. CFDA against all odds. And then work together to kick open doors at the Met. Yes. Time is now for childcare, healthcare and climate action for all. Tax the rich. Yes, AOC. So cool. Well, also it's interesting to protest that at the Met Gala. I mean, obviously what you're saying about how much it costs to go to the Met Gala. But then that the people that are at the Met Gala are not necessarily Mm. Jeff Bezos rich, but they are some of the richest people on our planet. So very interesting to target those people at that event Mm -hmm. oh i love her yeah and obviously she was there on invitation i think she states in the instagram post if you're an elected Mm -hmm. official you have like a state duty to attend these things you're invited to and things so oh she's just Mm -hmm. so cool what have you been reading watching listening to this week my love it feels like forever since we've been talking i really i don't know why (laughs) i know it does i have got two little delicious morsels Mm -hmm. for you to get started today oh i have totally binged my new favorite podcast and i'm so sad it's over so i have got the ultimate podcast recommendation for you to just to delight your ears and make you walk around with that kind of well i've been walking around with that kind of dopey half smile (laughs) constantly on my lips yes like that's (laughs) just looking like i'm in a bit of a daze (laughs) and the people that have been constantly amusing me are the wonders that are Dawn French and Jennifer Saunders in their podcast, which is called Titting About. Yes. And I adore 
adore it. I adore them. Yes. I adore the podcast wholeheartedly. There are two seasons, mm-hmm. both six episodes long. I think the second series has just come out, hence I heard about mm-hmm. it. But I just went back and, and listened to it all. Oh, I've just gobbled up the lot. I kind of miss them. I feel like there was a few weeks where they were in my car with me Aww. and going walking running with me and now they're not <laughs> and they just oh they make me laugh and they make me feel light and happy and a bit dreamy yeah i've always been such a dawn french fan i absolutely love her mm-hmm. so the podcast obviously titting about is kind of what it says in the tin they just take a topic each week a fairly standard topic mm-hmm. like family or pets or friends and then just tit about about it and go off topic and you get kind of all these wonderful anecdotes and stories and little tidbits of their lives, mm-hmm. which is great. And on the most recent topic there, I think they called it If We Were Funny Now. Mm-hmm. And they were talking about if they were in the height of their success mm-hmm. now, what would they be doing? Who's doing the things they would be doing? Mm-hmm. And it was just great hearing them talk about it and talk about would they make a sitcom and all of this. Mm-hmm. And it just got me thinking about sitcoms. And, and The Vicar of Dibley is, I think, probably my favourite sitcom of all time. Yes. I just... Love it so much. And it takes me back to my childhood. It was one of those shows that we would all watch together. My whole family loved it. And there wasn't many shows that brought us together like that. Mm. I think we had the DVD box set of it, actually. Me too. And (laughs) yes, I really clear memories of, we went on a family holiday once to France Mm -hmm. and we drove. And I think in an attempt to stop me and my brother and sister, mostly me and my brother, Mm -hmm. killing each other (laughs) on the way there, my mum bought one of those... Oh, so funny to think of it now. Those like chunky, yeah. portable DVD player yeah. things. <laughs> and we took the big figure of Ghibli box set and we just watched it all the way there and all the way back. Wow. And would just be howling in the back. And me and Connor especially would <laughs> love it because you know the theme tune for Vicar of Dibley the Lord is my shepherd there we go. she's off <laughs> yeah carries on blah blah da 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 ba bum keep singing to lay me down across the mm-hmm. the green pastures yes right that bit <laughs> so so it's the green pastures bit because me and connor we thought it was really funny to sing green bastards <laughs> so every single time we do that we didn't know the words green bastards <laughs> and they just like absolutely thought we were the height of comedy <laughs> But yeah, oh, so just, so I think funny. Dawn French, she just has my heart yes. completely. And obviously the pair of them together mm-hmm. are just batty and brilliant. Mm. And this podcast is wonderful. The only thing is it's an Audible original. Mm-hmm. So you have to be subscribed to Audible to oh. listen, which I'm not. However, mm-hmm. found a way to get around this <gasps> because I've got a new email address from a new job, oh. which I have not yet used for the classic oh. Audible one month free trial. Very good. So I did that. Listen within a month, jobs are good. Un. Yes. There you go. Very good. So that's my first little delightful treat for you. And my second one, I don't know where you're going to stand on this. Mm-hmm. I think you might be on board. It's a bit rogue. You never know. I have fallen into the hole that is married at first sight. Ah, oh, interesting. Have you watched any of it? There was one nine months ago or something in the height of lockdown, wasn't there? I think there was an Australia one. I watched one. <laughs> Which really disturbed me. <laughs> but I did watch the whole thing and was thoroughly compelled, but very confused. Oh, I am so invested mm. in Married at First Sight at the moment. For all it's, you know, it's awful and it's brilliant. It's the classic reality TV dilemma, isn't it? Mm. It's just Car Crash Telly that I can't stop watching. Mm-hmm. I watched the first Married at First Sight UK, which was years and years ago. Hold on. Sorry. Can we backtrack? 
Yeah. There's women in one camp and men in another camp and they go into weird booths every day and no. date people. That's something else. Oh. I can't remember what that is. That's They oh. date people, decide that they've fallen in love with someone without and want to them marry, them. marry them. Yeah, without having seen yeah. them. That does sound like the title Married at First Sight, but it's not. It's called something... Bl- love is Blind. Love is Blind. Ah, okay. You spoke about that, I think, in the first season. Did Do I? Do you remember? with mortification and shame (laughs) i hope this is different so married at first sight is basically a panel of experts like you have a psychologist you have a relationship therapist Mm -hmm. you have a sex expert and they use the science as expert if you will (laughs) (laughs) they use the science the science (laughs) the science of love to match people Mm -hmm. so they take into account all these different factors what they want what they like you know their backgrounds i don't know what it how legit it is Mm -hmm. but we call it the science and (laughs) hundreds of applicants they pair people up and they just get married they've never met each other they walk down the aisle they get married and then that's alarming as hell they yeah it's ridiculous so then they get married and then they have their reception and the families meet and you look at watch all of this and then they go off on their honeymoon and then in the previous season in the uk version ages ago they would come back from their honeymoon and live in like a kind of temporary fake well i guess a real flat but that neither of them own Mm -hmm. or rent or anything they just live in this temporary house get used to living together and then they have to make the decision about like whose house we're going to go and live in Mm. okay you're from london i'm from sheffield right you're going to have to move to sheffield with me and (laughs) they have that and you get to watch that and then like i think it's six weeks or three months i can't remember later they decide if they want to stay married or separate wow and i really found it really interesting and one of the couples worked and they were together for ages this time round, still great way more like classic reality tv Mm -hmm. There's like a 26-year-old guy on it who's never been in a relationship oh, before. Yeah. So I'm like, so why are you, you're just on here to be on telly? Like, this is crazy. Yeah, and there's some really awful people, horrible men. Mm. But then there's also some really lovely people and a couple of proper couples who feel like they're falling in love, Aww. which is always fun. But it's just total guilty pleasure. Yeah. Shout out to my mum for watching it with me yes. and, and then investing in it just as hard. It's awful, but I'm proud <laughs> of how terribly good it is. <laughs> That does sound, yeah, I mean, abysmal, but kind of, I guess the premise isn't that different from an arranged marriage. Well, yeah, and I guess it's, for lots of these people, either they've had like terrible dating experiences or just desperate to find love and their friends are all like married and settling down and they want to be as well. Mm. It's for them, I guess, a kind of shortcut to finding someone who technically should be perfect for you, according to some experts. Yeah. How strange, but I mean, amazing. Really strange. Do we feel like this violates the sanctity of marriage if one believed in the sanctity of marriage? Well, I guess so. In the, the, (laughs) again, I keep harking back to this other series I watched a few years ago. That very much felt like everyone was really invested in like they wanted to be married Mm -hmm. is what they came on this show for, for the marriage. Whereas this time around, it feels much more like people want to be matched with someone that's really right for them. Uh And they fully accept that they're just going to like not worry about getting getting divorced at the end if they need to. Or maybe they're not even, like, legally married. Mm. The first time around, they definitely were. Yeah. The season's much more, like... So when they come back from their honeymoon, they all go into, like, this huge building where they each have a different apartment, mm. the couples. Mm-hmm. So they're all together. Mm. So then there's, like, the opportunity for a little bit of uh, mixing. Yes. Yeah. Oh, God. And they have, like, dinner parties, and it all gets oh, very Lord. crazy. <laughs> thrilling. Thrilling to watch. Yeah. Well, it sounds it. It so actually does. <laughs> you know what? If I can 
unashamedly buy every book in the series of Shadow and Bone. <laughs> Haven't talked about that yet. <laughs> and read them more than once already. <laughs> you little nerd. I love it. <laughs> then you too can watch Married at First Sight without shame. <laughs> I know, no shame. I really haven't talked about the Shadow and Bone series yet. I don't know whether I should or whether we just take it as fact that I love them and have read them. (laughs) I love that you've read them multiple times. That's that's serious. To be fair, it was comfort reading to another level with the whole Mm. house move and just being kind of knackered, trying to adapt to new environments and everything. I just so immersed myself oh that's so nice though what i really like about that series so i've explained the shadow and bone as a premise so the shadow and bone is a trilogy then there's two books based on the six of crows so for the tv show that is the underworld of ketadam which is kaz inej and jesper and then there's the king of scars duology it's about like nicolaj and zoya's continued fight for ravka There are just some really touching moments in those books that I just really love. I love the different types of relationship that they have. It's very adventure and romance heavy. Not romance in a kind of sordid way, but there's a lot of tensions between various people. I just love that she's written, uh, Lee Bardugo, the author's written in brown characters, written in characters with limps, written in characters that have difficulty with physical intimacy, characters that aren't straight sized as in are plus sized and are loved for being Mm. plus sized. There's just so many lovely relationships in the books that aren't just your classic man and woman and gay relationships they have gay relationships it's just it's just really inclusive in a way that's not forced at all just naturally comes and is really there's something just so warming about it to have all these very touching relationships develop without it necessarily being romance in the way that one would think of romance being so that's my main mm-hmm. takeaway about why they're so lovely and comforting. And they're just really fun adventure stories set in this fantastic universe. They're incredibly readable. I'm a huge fan. Yeah. <laughs> it's lovely to get into a book that you know is in a chunky series mm. or like enough of a series to just, like you said, really nestle into and it's mm. a bit of a comfort blanket. And, and believe me, people, I was there the day the order of books arrived. Oh. She was very excited. <laughs> I forgot the so uni. Excited. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So happy. <laughs> oh, dear yes. me. Anyway, enough of my frivolous little... Well, Dawn French and Jennifer Saunders are frivolous in a wonderful way. Mm. But what sort of things have you been devouring this week? What have you got to talk to me about? Well, we're going to delve into a more... A, a darker, more grounded in reality topic, which is abortion law. So Texan law is changing or has changed to essentially prevent women from having abortions. When I was 19, I had an abortion and my life would have been very, very, very different if I hadn't. And I'm talking about this quite private event simply because I just think it should be normalised to talk about it. And I think people should understand that this is a situation that so many people face and from all different types of backgrounds for all different sorts of reasons and there's no reason why anyone should have to explain their Mm -hmm. need for an abortion and it should be legal (laughs) 
<laughs> in essence. But I've been reading a number of illuminating articles. The first one is from the New York Times, written by Roni Karen Rabin. The New York Times is subscription-based, but you can read a couple of articles for free. And so you can make sure that this is one of your articles. It'll be in our show notes. So this article lays out the ins and outs of the abortion laws in Texas. In 1973, the famous US Supreme Court case Roe v. Wade legalized abortion. And around the beginning of this month, Texas passed a law restricting abortions after cardiac activity has been detected, which generally is around the first six weeks of pregnancy. So in a menstruation cycle, that's about two weeks after missing a period. And given that most cycles aren't that regular and that not everyone tracks their period, that's a really, really small window mm. finding out if you're pregnant, let alone making a decision and acting upon that decision. This cardiac activity isn't a heartbeat because a heart isn't fully formed at six weeks. It's just based on electrical activity. The law does not make exceptions for incest or rape. It does permit abortions for health reasons, but the exceptions are narrowly drawn, only allowing a termination if the pregnancy could endanger the mother's life or lead to substantial and irreversible impairment of a major bodily function. And these laws are essentially unconstitutional as the Supreme Court with Roe v. Wade has ruled in favour of abortion. Catelyn Moran wrote a really interesting article about... Yes, I read this piece. Yeah. It was fantastic, wasn't it? Yeah, I'm going to quote a couple of bits of this about the way in which this is essentially enforcing motherhood. Texan women are now compelled to become mothers. From this week on, and for as long as this inexorable legislation lasts, Texas is about to see a new faltering generation of children start to be born and raised by mothers whom the state has insisted must reproduce. Texas is now in the business of conscripting mothers. It is creating an army of unwilling women to breed. 40% state lack of financial resources, 31% state abusive or non-supportive partner, 29% already have children, 20% feel it would interfere with education slash vocational plans, 19% have emotional or mental health reasons, 12% cite physical health reasons, and 12% simply want a better life for the baby than they could provide. And it's just a really heartbreaking article about how cruel it is to force birth onto unwilling mothers and the children that are subsequently born. Mm. So that's a really interesting article to read. Yeah, it's in the Times, that article. Yes. And a section that really jumped out to me of that brilliant piece in the Times was the section that she was talking about. Texas isn't doing this because they're desperate to raise more Texan children or for there to be more sort of happy families. Mm. It's not looking at child welfare, which is what it's claiming to do by creating these awful, awful laws. Mm. Because if it was doing that, it would be pumping money into yeah. maternal health care mm -hmm. and more youth centre work. And the people that are fighting this and insisting on this really insanely... Restrictive. Restrictive, there we go. The people that are insisting on these restrictive laws and fully back it are not the people that are doing everything they can to support children mm. and, and mothers and and that section of society, which is in a, in a point of, of suffering and struggling in lots of different places. Mm. It's not, you can't preach about it being to do with supporting children and mothers and what's best for families mm. when that approach is not shared across the sector. It's just in a very single-minded mm. attack yeah. on 
freedom of choice. Yeah. I read another article that pointed out the rates of mortality amongst black mothers in the US that therefore stated that becoming a forced mother is tantamount to a potential death sentence if you don't have the choice to avoid that. And then I read another very interesting article about why abortion has become such a politicized subject in America, particularly amongst evangelical Christians. And this article... I'm going to quote from it. It wasn't until 1979, a full six years after Roe versus Wade, that evangelical leaders at the behest of conservative activist Paul Weyrich seized on abortion not for moral reasons, but as a rallying cry to deny President Jimmy Carter a second term. Why? Because the anti-abortion crusade was more palatable than the religion's real motive, protecting segregated schools. So essentially, for evangelical Christians anti-abortionism was used as a tool to protect the racist rules of segregated schools and apparently abortion was seen as a more savory reason to do this rather than standing forth uh, on behalf of racism which i thought was a really interesting explanation and also it's been rightly pointed out as well that this law will affect mainly people without money and undocumented women who cannot travel to other states to get an abortion the new york times article i'll read from it the measure will create nearly insurmountable obstacles for certain vulnerable populations among them teenagers who often don't realize they're pregnant until later in a pregnancy low-income people who need to find about 550 dollars to cover the cost of the procedure and people of color including the undocumented to migrants. Around 70% of abortions in Texas in 2019 were provided to women of colour. And finally, the Texan law deputizes private citizens to sue anyone who performs an abortion or aids and abets a procedure. Mm. Plaintiffs who have no connection to the patient or the clinic may sue and recover legal fees as well as $10,000 if they win. That is Oh, completely abhorrent, isn't it? It's like a, it is bounty hunter style, isn't it? Totally. I mean, it's it's unbelievable. There are various groups acting to protect women and people that want abortions, and we will link to any of those resources in our show notes. But yes, just standing with all women in in Texas and standing for women's rights, I think it's unbelievable, really, that this mm. this step back is happening. Yeah, completely agree. <laughs> to lighten the subject, <laughs> I'm going to tell you about a really beautiful film that I watched mm. this week. It was so absolutely poetic. It's called Sabrina. And mm. I've realized since watching it that it's actually a remake of a 1954 film which starred Audrey Hepburn and Humphrey Bogart. This was made in 2002, directed by Sidney Pollack, starring Julia Ormond, Greg Kinnear and Harrison Ford. And it's so lovely. Sabrina is the daughter of a chauffeur to an extremely wealthy American family, the Larrabees. She spent her childhood watching these really extravagant parties filled with live music, gorgeous dresses and champagne flowing from the top of a tree. And whilst watching these parties, she develops the most overwhelming fatuation with Greg Kinnear, David, who plays the younger son of this family. And he's the golden boy. He's always partying and falling in love with beautiful women. And he's incredibly whimsical in that sense. And Sabrina is on the cusp of womanhood and she gets sent to Paris. She's set up with a job through a connection of the Larrabees. And in Paris, she discovers essentially how to be. She learns about being alone and contemplation and photography and develops this inner wealth 
wealth beyond just this crush on the golden boy. The way in which this time in Paris is portrayed is so beautiful. It's kind of montage-esque, but instead of brassy music and intense clips of her buying croissants, it's just these gorgeous little excerpts into her changing and the different things that are affecting her perspective on life. And she returns to the Larrabees with a stunning new haircut, stunning clothes, and catches the eye of the golden boy who has known her all his life. There's the most iconic scene as she greets David in her hometown on the street and he doesn't recognise her. And he offers her a lift and she directs him to his house and he still doesn't recognise her. And then they get out the car and he's saying, I must know who you are. And Harrison Ford's character walks by and without a second glance says, hello, Sabrina. (laughs) And it's very lolitary, her change from child to woman in the eyes of these, these men, which is a little uncomfortable, but there's a sort of understanding that Sabrina has learned how to handle herself and essentially has these men wrapped around her finger. Anyway, David's on the cusp of an engagement that will cement an important merger with the family business and his dalliance with Sabrina will endanger all of this. So Linus, who's played by Harrison Ford, is an ever faithful business manager and he sets about trying to dismantle their relationship before it really even begins and in the process learns to live and love again And it's just the most lovely, gorgeous film. It's got a lot of that 1950s charm, which I think comes from it being a remake. And it's got this softness and this Gatsby-esque magic of Mm. parties and beautiful clothes and money mixed with this building's romance story, this coming of age, discovering of oneself. And it's sort of how I imagine Emily in Paris should have been filmed with that (laughs) kind of creamy, gentle quality instead of brash outfits and absurdity. (laughs) And it's such an understated film, the script and the storytelling. It's not totally explained in the way that some films can be it's not a sort of blow by blow it sort of glides and hints and lingers and it's just such a lovely film it was just so heartwarming and poetic i loved it i really Mm. enjoyed it oh that sounds so yeah like warm and fuzzy it makes me feel Mm. all romantic and wonderful nostalgic yeah Yeah. (laughs) oh that sounds so good i've also got a little film recommendation for you yes similar in the sense it's a bit of a remake version Mm. i finally got round to watching cruella i really want to watch that i really 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 want to watch that (sighs) it was so good i mean you can see it's on (laughs) disney plus which again i'm just being i sound like such a sponge i we're logged in on someone else's account i think a friend Uh, i need to log into my sister's (laughs) account cruella was always my favorite villain i I think pretty much i mean maybe the darkling from shadow and bone has now taken over my favorite anti-hero position but i I loved cruella i always just adored her as a child really idolized her oh i was terrified of her really really terrified of her loved the film as a kid but yeah she stuck out Mm. terrifyingly and like you i've been just dying to watch this and finally got Mm. around to it it's a very clever reimagining of Mm -hmm. this kind of classic movie it's of course portrayed by the marvelous emma stone Mm -hmm. as Cruella and she is pitted against 
the monstrous Emma Thompson, mm. who has very strong Meryl Streep, Devil Wears Prada vibes, mm. which is just wonderful. Yeah, iconic. And it is just everything you kind of want it to be. It's a big Disney remake, mm-hmm. spin-off type thing. Bold, it's brash, it's elegant, it's smart, it's clever, it's got brilliant characters and silly situations, mm-hmm. but there's just a lot of heart at the centre of the story, yeah. and it made it far more memorable and quite a surprising movie to me, mm. actually. It really drove the story along and it was just a good watch mm. and I was really pleasantly surprised. So basically you have you have Cruella and she starts off as Estella, mm-hmm. who is a young girl and after losing her mother, she ends up living with two other orphan boys and they're sort of thieving their way around London to survive. <laughs> and she harbours these <laughs> dreams of... <laughs> Sorry, I, every time anyone talks about thieving boys, the, the Aladdin song of gotta eat to live, gotta live to eat, <laughs> tell you all about it when I got the time, always just wings through my head. Yes, love it. Just like that. (laughs) So Estella also harbours these dreams of being a designer and she loves fashion and clothes, having caught a glimpse of something spectacular as a child, Mm. a sneak view of this high fashion event. Mm. And Estella, I should have said at the beginning, she's always been sort of different and Mm. she really rages against conforming even from a really young age Mm -hmm. and you know after her mother dies and she's orphaned she holds on to along with this sort of rage a lot of guilt Mm -hmm. because she thinks she's responsible for her mother's death Mm. and anyway after sort of time growing up in London she works her way up through various escapades into the fashion world Mm. and eventually finds out that this sort of hero of hers played by Emma Thompson is not really who she thought she was I'm trying desperately to dodge spoilers whilst yeah. also tell you about how good it is. <laughs> I actually don't want spoilers for this one. Yeah, <laughs> for once. And Estella sort of then revamps herself mm. as this daring Cruella, this designer, this creator, almost like an activist. You know, mm-hmm. she's pulling these fashion stunts and upstaging people she's working against in really amazing ways. It's just such a cool concept Mm -hmm. and it's a cool way to reimagine this iconic character and there's enough nods to the Cruella we know from before that obviously Mm. with the the name and how that comes about and the car and the Mm. hair and the Dalmatians and yeah I was so immersed in it as a new story that then the Mm. pops of recognition really jumped out at me I was like oh yeah of course it's her Anita darling (laughs) <laughs> sadly there is no reference to that that's no, a shame it's my favorite line um, but it's such a great watch loads of fun yeah. and yeah emma stone and emma thompson are just mm. ravishing you're gonna love it mm. yeah i feel like it's a sort of film where you could just have so much fun caricaturing mm. those characters oh i really want to watch it and also the clips yeah. i've seen of the clothes and the kind of extravagance and mm. i love a film that just lets rip with really fun explorative design where they just really not in an emily in paris sort of way just a really imaginative way explore the costumes and use that as a storytelling technique i think that's always just really fun from what i've seen of the clothes it looks amazing yeah, it definitely doesn't hold back in that regard. Mm. You will be, you will be pleased. Mm, mm. <laughs> oh, I can't Enjoy. wait! Yes, <laughs> I'm gonna nick my sister's Disney Plus login immediately. That's <laughs> so what sisters are there for. Exactly. <laughs> I've got an interesting fact for you. <laughs> oh, go on. Did you know that a snail can sleep for three years? What? Yeah. Three years? Yeah. 
I love that your facts are always about weird things that animals do. I can't get away from it now. If I think of fun facts, the only thing I can think of is animals. Mm, yeah. <laughs> what else? What else do you want? Like, did you know that a roof tile expands by zero point three percent if it rains? <laughs> yeah, that's useful information. Oh, sorry, not is that true. Not true. No. <laughs> oh. Good, good off the cuff making up a fact there, though. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> oh, I love snails. I used to, like, weirdly collect snails as a child and think I had, like, a little pet snail farm thing. Yeah. It was just under a big rock, really. Mm -hmm. It was like an old bird bath that was yeah. sort of held up by some concrete mm -hmm. blocks or something. Mm -hmm. And I lifted it off one day and found loads of snails. And then if ever I saw a snail, I would just pick it up and put it in there and <laughs> think I had, like, pet snails. Loved them. Had names for all of them. So... They can sleep pretty much everywhere. A sticky mucus lets them climb all over surfaces and the mucus holds them in place while they sleep. So they can sleep sideways, upside down, wherever. They carry their homes on their back so they can sleep wherever they happen to be. Once they settle, they relax their foot and tentacles, which withdraw slightly and their shell hangs away from their body most of their sleep takes place in the daytime they're more active at night to avoid the intensity of sunlight snails sleep in seven small bouts and after this there's a 30 hour period in which they're active but they can also sleep for a very long time which is a form of hibernation and it's thought that that could last up for three years few species actually do hibernate for this long but the hibernation happens generally when snails get cold in the winter Mm. Well, there you go. Who'd have thunk? Snail sleep. Who'd have thunk? Yeah. <laughs> and they've got thousands of teeth. Teeth? So to eat, snails have thousands of teeth, which together form the radula. A single radula could have 120 rows, each of 100 teeth. This is an effective cutting scraping tool when feeding. Huh, there you go. And they don't have ears. <laughs> Do you want to hear more? It sounds like you want to hear more snail facts, is what I'm hearing. <laughs> Scream if you want to go faster. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so who'd have thunk? <laughs> Do you think I need to diversify my who'd have thunks to not animal facts? I mean, I don't want to disappoint anyone by saying yes to that. So let's keep going. Stick to what you know. Send us a message if you would like us to move on or continue. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes our hooter thunks are just wonderfully organic moments of revelations mm. whilst chatting and sometimes you know you gotta just find a good animal fact well the thing is that generally now enough people <laughs> in my life come up to me with animal facts mm. which i then feel like i definitely ought to include which just perpetuates the cycle <laughs> So you've got a stash ready to go. I've got a little, a little stash of animal facts. <laughs> it's a good way to be. It's a good way to be. <laughs> the trip down Nostalgia Lane, which I have been embarking on this week, was with the Sisterhood of the Travelling Pants, which have you ever seen that? Oh, I haven't seen this. It's such a cult classic. Everyone loves it. Iconic. Yeah. So it's a film. Fuck me. We're old. Um, it was <laughs> It was released in 2005, which now is 16 years ago, which disgusts me. <laughs> and it stars America Ferrara, Amber Tamblyn, Blake Lively and Alexis Bledel from Gilmore Girls and they find a <laughs> pair of trousers which happen to fit all of them one summer they're sort of typical American teenagers one of them's very sporty one of them's into filmmaking and they've all got their various idiosyncratic personalities 
defined by one particular thing that they do. <laughs> by, by one hobby. You <laughs> one are hobby. the squiddy worm. <laughs> <laughs> Which one were you? Which one were you in your friendship group? Probably, I don't know, the reading one. <laughs> Makes sense, does it? <laughs> They find a pair of trousers which happen to fit all of them and they're being separated for the summer for the first time in years, all going off to do separate things. And so they decide to post the trousers from one to the other. And they all go on various adventures on the summer. Blake Lively goes to a sporty camp where she sets about seducing one of the coaches. Alexis Bledel goes to Greece where she sets about being seduced by a gorgeous Greek fisherman. America Ferrara is going to stay with her dad who she hasn't spent any time with since she was 13 because her parents separated and his new family and is negotiating the difficulties of that Amber Tamblin is making a documentary in her hometown working in Target or equivalent and happens to meet this very young girl who sort of opens her mind to various things through the filmmaking process and it's so touching and sweet and lovely and honestly had me bawling by the end because there's various storylines that explore the the little girl that meets the documentary maker has got leukemia and it's just so heartbreaking and obviously the story of america ferrara and her broken family and exploring the communication with her father and telling him how she feels about him leaving her there's this really beautiful moment as well with blake lively's seduction of, of the gym coach in which she i think they have sex on a beach and it's you know the thing that she's been working towards all summer at this football camp there's a real moment where she comes back because her mum died a number of years back and that she comes to the realization that that need for attention and love in that particular moment was a cry for help and a cry for attention this is all very inferred they don't really mention it in the film but that there's a certain emptiness that comes with seeking a respite from your feelings in a way that's just sort of like having sex which is somehow empty some really lovely touching moments like that Mm. in the film which honestly just touched some nerve deep inside me not that deep (laughs) fairly on the surface and just had me crying just had me weeping and weeping so lovely so did you watch it years ago and you were coming back to it or was this your first watch this is my first watch but i think because of the fashion and the stereotypes that it goes into it felt very nostalgic of all those films that were very big about teenagers when we were young the sort of mean girls Mm. very 2000s aesthetic which that i think was very nostalgic for me (laughs) were the specific pair of traveling pants were they ridiculously low-rise Keira Knightley jeans? They weren't ridiculously low-rise. They were low-rise, but not ridiculously so. That's full of the nostalgia mm. of those jeans that you just yeah. look back on. You're like, oh, man. Yeah. Thank God for high waist. Thank God for high waist. <laughs> Finally, women understand how their bodies should be dressed. <laughs> oh, that sounds so good. It gives me real vibes of... Do you remember that film Crossroads? No. Oh, who has it got in? Oh, I'm going to have to look. It's mm. not Lindsay Lohan, but it's something like that. Mm. Crossroads. Maybe it's like Hilary Duff or oh, something. Oh, it's very sort of just my luck. Yeah, yeah. Freaky Friday. All yes, those exactly. fantastic, very teenage 2000s films, which iconic. An iconic era, which apparently is back upon us. 
Oh my god, it's Britney. Britney's in it. No, That's, I knew it was someone like Hilary Duff who sang as well. Yeah, yeah it's Britney, mm-hmm. and I can't remember it, but it's about yeah, very teenage coming of age, three mm. girls kind of go traveling, reach a crossroads in their life. But at the beginning, <laughs> as kids, they bury a shoebox in their garden, and they uh, each put something in it and yeah. like little notes and stuff, and then it all comes back to that at the end. Mm. And me and two of my best, or maybe it's four of us. There's four of us friends at primary school, maybe just as the age when we were going to high school. We did the same thing and we buried this box oh. and we all put things in it. Have you gone back to it? It's sadly not got a good ending because uh. <laughs> I'm still like one of the girls. It's like one of my best friends in the world. The other girl, and I still know well, but we kind of like drifted apart a bit. But the other person we just never saw again. What? And we buried it in her garden. No. <laughs> I could you ever go back? Go back Is she it? still living in that house? Or could you ever go back know. to the house and just be like, I'm really sorry. Can we just dig up a bit of your garden? Yeah. Or you we can really sneak in at to... night. Can I orchestrate this? Can I... I feel like it needs to Can happen. I hold a torch? I can't I... <laughs> I... <laughs> oh, it would have been so great. I'm yeah. not remembering. I'm wondering if I've remembered it wrong. I think maybe <laughs> we were like handed the box round over summer holidays and like it was her turn to put yes. stuff in it before we came back together and buried it and then we never did. So maybe uh... she's got it somewhere. I think a Facebook stalk is in oh, order. Dig her out. Dig out the box. Yes. <laughs> Wherever you are, find us. At the crossroads. Is there a song? Can Can you sing the song? Oh, I don't know. Probably. It is Britney. When you started singing that, it just made me think of at the car wash. But you were singing Crossroads, so <laughs> at I've, the got, car wash, I've got yeah. nothing for you. <laughs> <laughs> there is a good song in it. I can't remember what it is, but I was obsessed mm. with that film anyway. So yeah, it sounds mm. like that wonderful, lovely dose of nostalgia to send you on your merry way. Yes, and have a good cry. If mm. you're in the need of a good yeah. cry and not just about, you know, climate change and abortion laws. <laughs> yeah, we were talking about this before we came on. We were talking about that knee sometimes when you've, I don't know, I always feel a pull to something mm. really depressing or dark or tragic or like cheesy bad that will make me cry. Like those kind of nostalgic, mm. like the notebook or something where I'm like, I just need to weep about Noah. <laughs> <laughs> When I'm like having a bad day and you just need something to set you off. Mm. I sometimes seek it out. You're like, I need to read something cheesy and bad or watch something like that to just have a good sob and then feel Mm. great again. Eat some ice cream. Let's go full American chick flick about this and live up to all those (laughs) stereotypes. (laughs) Oh, Oh, I love it. Oh, it's been so uplifting talking to you. Let's go eat ice cream and cry at movies. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for listening, everyone. Before we go, we have one more quite exciting little tidbit for you. As the Grand Thunk is growing, we've had some exciting developments recently, and we are hoping to give you more information on those soon. But they may or may not involve some live events and some book club type gatherings. And we're very excited about this because... We love nattering away to each other, but we Mm. know that whilst we're nattering away in your ears, there's probably things you want to say back and join in the conversation, Mm. which we're excited to open up the door to. So we're working on things. We will let you know more soon. Hopefully we'll be able to facilitate some really fun chats with lots of wine <laughs> slash GNTs. I'm not too fussy. If you want to go for vodka lime soda, I don't mind. Margaritas, maybe. Are there any drinks that aren't allowed at the mm. book club, theoretically? 
the theoretical mm. book club no i no no <laughs> limits cups of tea i'm all for those no a good coffee limits cups of tea definitely no pumpkin slice lattes <laughs> oh yeah that's totally bad no we're gonna lose a lot of people on that sorry no maybe this is a good reason we'll launch we'll launch any event and and, and everyone will turn up with a psl to uh, indoctrinate us with the autumn vibes <laughs> we can we can live in hope but yeah maybe we can make some pumpkin slice lattes at the book club we'll see it's basically turning into Maybe it'll be the ignore, inaugural tasting. <laughs> Stay tuned for more exciting announcements. We will be back with more details. Yeah. So lovely talking to you, Rhiannon. You too. As always. Have a lovely week, everyone, and we will see you next week. See you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.